Hello, listening audience. Thank you for downloading our podcast yet again. I'm Jake Wiskirchen, and this is Noggin Notes. Although you probably already know that because you downloaded it. And if you don't know what you're downloading, that's on you, not on me, to explain what you just downloaded. However, this is the Noggin Notes podcast in case you accidentally downloaded it and you want to know what we do here. Well, we, uh, we aim to augment and enhance your understanding of psychological wellness uh, spirituality, personal well-being, mental health, emotional management, and all sorts of things. And I'd like to say that we're bringing you a treat this week, but let's be honest, we bring you a treat every week, or at least that's how I like to think of it. Today's interview is with Jurgen Jacobs, and I did check with him. He does have an umlaut over his U, uh, which I think is really cool because I have no umlauts. I have, no, I have one dot in my name. It's over the I in Wiskirchen. And uh, I think that's cool. So uh, my interview with Jurgen spans a, a lot of things, but chiefly it's his endeavor, which is small steps surfing. And I, I challenge you to say that three times fast uh, or 10 times if you're really good at saying it three times. Smallstepssurfing.com is where you can go to find out more. Uh, essentially what he does is he works with children in rural South African communities to teach them how to surf. And in so doing, he helps them uh, expand their own awareness. He gets them out of their uh, their drudgery. Usually they're from low-income communities with very few resources. And uh, along the way, he takes uh, folks like you and me who may be listening to this, who are people of means, who can uh, afford a vacation and they want to take their vacation to South Africa. They go out and they learn how to surf too, but they're also working hands-on with the children in these communities. And it's just a really special, absolutely magical uh, spiritual experience, I think. I, I can't wait to do it, and I say that probably several times throughout the course of the interview with him. Jurgen's also, um, he's just a really multi-dimensional person, but he also works with um, turtles. And, and at the end of the interview, we talk about that, and I, I know you're going to want to hang on to hear about that because I had my mind blown uh, listening to his stories of sea turtles. And so that's a that's just an added treat to what we've got for you today. So if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at info at zephyrwellness.org or info at nogginnotes.com, and we will take your feedback and integrate it somehow into the podcast and spit answers back at you through this medium. Without further delay, this is Jurgen Jacobs talking about small steps surfing on the Noggin Notes podcast. Enjoy it. Well, you've tuned back into the Noggin Notes podcast. And even though I say that uh, you don't really tune into a podcast, you, you download it or you turn it on or something, I guess I'm, I'm still stuck on tuning in because I'm an old school guy and I'm still thinking in radio terms. So anyway, you're back with the Noggin Notes podcast. And this week we're interviewing Jurgen Jacobs, who is from South Africa. Hello, Jurgen. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Good to good it's, to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going well. You're on our podcast because we wanted to discuss what you're doing down there in uh, in South Africa with small steps, and I want to let you talk a little bit about that and how you're integrating surfing into working with uh, underprivileged kids, disadvantaged youth, and whatnot. Um, but first, tell a little bit about who you are and how you connected with us and um, your life in general. Oh. Thank you very much. Um, thanks that you've been following us for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 
born and raised in South Africa, so in Pretoria, which is the capital of South Africa. Um, and I actually worked, so I, after my high school years, I went overseas and worked for um, the rich and famous on, on private yachts. And I, that's actually how I met the founder of, uh, one of the founders of, of Noggin Notes, uh, Sofisa Rupinga. So we actually, we were at a wedding. And Sofisa was not among the rich and famous, just to clarify <laughs> for everyone. It could be though. I mean, he's got the persona. He could. Yeah. He's, he's very gregarious. Not going. We should have Sofisa on here. I can't believe I haven't done that. Oh yeah, definitely. The two partners have never talked on this. Oh yeah. hundred percent. He's fantastic. And brilliant. Yeah. So anyway, you met Sofisa while you're traveling the world on yachts. Yeah. So I spent well, the better part of about six and a half to seven years working on, on privately owned and yachts abroad. So from Thailand, where I spent two and a half years in between Southeast Asia and I did Australia. And from there, did this bit of the States, Bahamas, went over, did the Mediterranean, and then finished off now, actually flew out of Victoria, Canada last. But, um, you know, during the time, you sort of, you meet a lot of people that can change your life in ways that you'll, you'll never, you can never really fathom or you, you can never really predict how they're going to change your life. You know? And that's exactly what uh, my meeting Safisa was pretty much. Explain that a little bit more, the whole life changing thing through simply meeting somebody. Cause it sounds like you got a bunch of stories there. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stories from the, and I know you want to protect some, privacy. So some of them, some of them I'll keep, I'll keep to myself, but I mean, just, just the different characters and just seeing, the influences people have on you, you know, it, it you know, Sofiso's journey with Naganite sort of, it was, it was quite inspirational in, you know, sort of uh, attacking what you want to do, you know, sort of going after your goals. And um, I was going through a bit of a rough time on a, on a yacht at the crossing back over from the Mediterranean back to the States and decided I just want to do something that's, you know, in a sense, selfless but almost selfish at the same time you know i was i was trying to make myself feel better about you know my circumstances and sort of where i am in my life etc and i decided to start what is now well it was the beginning of small step surfing so it was just a a non-profit initiative where i was collecting donated surf gear around south africa from just friends and acquaintances on through Facebook and, and Instagram and just getting them to donate surf gear, snorkel gear, you know, bathers, anything you have that's associated with the water, give it to us and we'll take it up to the kids in up the east coast of South Africa. And we took most of the equipment up to a place called Sudwana Bay and, and spent the last year helping them out sort of set up a, a social development program based around surfing and teaching ocean conservation through surfing. How many kids have you been making contact with? And like these, it would take one camp at a time and then tell me how many camps, and that's my word camp, but how <laughs> many, how many kids do you think you've touched? Um, well, we're still pretty, pretty new into what we're doing. We've, I mean, the most kids we've had into one session in, in up in Sedona Bay, which you know, I must add is, is still, it's quite a, quite a rural place and it's it's not a lot of people have access to the beach i mean it's if you look into it there's a bit of a, a at least a three kilometer drive between 
what is known as, as wetland areas, you know, protected wetland area and the actual beach gate. So just mm -hmm. getting to the beach is already an issue if you don't have a vehicle. So we've had up to 30 kids is the most that we've had. 30, 34 kids is the most we've had. Um, that's a lot. Session. Yeah, it's good. I, mean, I, I, mean, I coached a little bit in high school. That's that's quite a big group. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of little bodies running around. I can tell you that much. Yeah. How do you keep them all safe? Um, well, I've got a good good support base. Uh, my old man's actually based up in Sedona Bay. He he does sea turtle conservation up there with his partner uh, Temba. So Temba and Temba and Glover and my dad Peter Jacobs. So they up in Sedona Bay doing, taking people out to, to view nesting turtles and, and the little hatchlings that come out. And through that was, you know, that's sort of where Sedona became the base at the time. And um, So they help you with the, the, yeah. the coaching and the kids during the, the lessons? Exactly. So they supplied us with a game drive vehicle to collect the kids from their homes or from a, a collection point that we have in Sedona. And they also were have very hands-on. I mean, my old man and Temba both would take the kids out even when I was, you know, working. I was running a lot of small steps while I was still on the yachts. So they jumped in and, you know, they sacrificed their own time to take the kids out on the weekends and when they have, you know, school holidays. Which is really what you're doing too. You're sacrificing your own time to do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I don't see it like that, but yeah, you, it is pretty much that you know it's it's my life it's my livelihood but it's also my life you know it's something that that keeps me going it wakes me up in the morning and it, it makes me sleep soundly at night and i love that when you and i talked earlier about the overview of what you're doing and how you got there and um you know i immediately brought up funding because <clears throat> that's top front and center of my head with all that i do and i'm like well how do you keep this sustainable right and it's yeah, nice to true. retire and have a little uh, nest egg from you know yachting around the world <laughs> but then eventually the the money's going to run out yeah and um, you got to pay your own bills even if you're really feeling quite generous um but your your response was and it, and it made me feel a little silly at the time because it, it mirrors my own philosophy and i felt a little silly even asking the question as if i don't live this my own life um your response was like well i just don't i don't see it as as like giving away i don't it's not it's not something where there's a plus minus um, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously these aren't your words, these are my <laughs> words, but you know, there's no, there's no inflow and outflow here. Yeah. It's just all, it's just all flow and you don't judge it. You just go, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good and, and it helps the world go around. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not trying to step on anybody's toes here. We, we're actually trying to empower all existing nonprofit organizations and all existing social development programs, you know, and if there's any program that we can help out and, and you know, take our clients to, to experience what I felt, you know, just in the last year of doing this, you know, I think that goes leaps and bounds above just going, you know, going to a place and, and touring, you know, just going to location and being there, you know, actually jumping in, immersing yourself in the culture. It, it's, it gives you a different, different light, a different uh, touch on life, I'd say. And it sounds like people are actually asking for these services. You're not just, horning your way into somebody's community and saying, here, I've got a great idea, now take it as I shove it down your throat. Yeah, I mean, initially it was quite tough to, to get the kids to jump on board. I, I spent the better part of two weeks driving into the, um, 
the local settlements of Sudwana Bay and the Mbazwan area to go and, you know, sort of entice the kids to to come to the beach, come and surf. You know, the concept of you get this for free for, you know, you don't have to do anything. There's no strings attached to it. You know, it's still very, it, it, it you know, I mean, as it is with everybody, you know, there's, everybody's going to ask what's the catch you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, we're not used to receiving gifts, period, I think, uh, but especially without some sort of expectation of reciprocity. So yeah. you're running into that even with children. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> basically, the only thing that we can give the kids, I mean, yes, you can donate, but, you know, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. I mean, you're donating your money to one place, but you don't know where that ends up at the end of the day. It might end up in a you know, you might donate ten dollars, and a dollar that ends up in a bowl of oats for a child. You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put you in the situation. So you pay for your tour X Y Z, and we we donate a section of that to all of the places that you visit. So we, in essence, we take you to where your money goes, and we show you where the, we show you the people that it's touching. We sort of you become coach, mentor, and friend to the kids that that at the end of the day your funds are going to be helping out. So if I'm conceptualizing this correctly, if I wanted to go on one of these tours, I I pay some money to cover the costs or whatever. You take part of that, donate it into the community. But ultimately, I get to go hands-on with you while you're teaching kids how to surf, teaching emotion conservation, and and ultimately, I get to see the impact that I'm making in these communities. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much exactly. I mean, going back to the, the funding thing um it's i mean it it's tough it doesn't matter where you are it's tough to get funding from people it's tough to convince people to just give you money so we yeah i haven't been very successful in it (laughs) (laughs) please give me money why uh i would like some yeah i mean that question doesn't go down very well not even with my folks but where do you find your your uh attendees yeah i mean what so what what we've done is we've done away with the funding question and we've provided our own funding basis by having the tours. So what the, the, the main focus of what we do is every tour that goes out has a social focus. So it doesn't matter. You're going to be surfing the best breaks. You're going to be experiencing everything that we've promised you, but you're going to be committing a couple of days where you are going to be going to the kids and you're going to be jumping in the water with them. You're going to be giving them sandwiches. You're going to be running around the sand. You're going to be teaching them about ocean conservation. You're going to be cleaning the beach, getting hands-on, getting dirty. You know, you're going to be really immersing yourself into the, the local communities and into the, the life of the kids. You, know, you can sort of see what they, their, how they, their little surfing journey goes. You know? It honestly sounds like a vacation that I would like to take. <laughs> well, I hope everybody has the same view. I mean, if it, if it is successful, then I don't see it you know, being bad for anybody. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody's getting sustainable donations from it. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't making a salary off of it. But at the end of the day, you know, I also got to put bread on the bread on the table. Well, exactly. And I mean, any nonprofit operates that way. They got to pay the people who operate the nonprofit. Exactly. So, you know, you want to do it conservatively and make sure that you're not wasting resources and you're being a good shepherd of people's, you know, donations. Exactly. I want to get so, back to the, well, just to I, just to sorry, well, go ahead. Sorry, just to stop you there with the. So we aren't a non-profit organization, as well to say we 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 are a, a private company. So we are a serve to a company, but we've got a social development sector. So 
we do collaborations mm-hmm. with nonprofit organizations where the donations will be going to. So the nonprofit organizations that are willing to work with us and willing to allow our clients to jump in the water with their kids and to, to help out with their programs, those will be the ones that will be benefiting from the, the actual cash donations. The only thing small steps accept is equipment. Okay. So we, and what? And you're talking like the equipment you use for um, surfboards, going in the water, rash vests. You know, if you've got board shorts that are too small for you, bring mm-hmm. them along, give them to to one of the kids. You know, a lot of these kids uh, they really have nothing, so it's you know every little bit counts. And you know, equipment is you know it's expensive. Surf equipment, especially, is it's expensive stuff. You know. I don't know because I live in the middle of the desert. <laughs> I can only imagine. But I yeah. know that snowboarding equipment is expensive. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, for, on both spectrums, you know, getting the equipment and also just giving it away. I mean, it's huge for, for both the people donating and the people receiving. So, you know, we don't, obviously don't expect everybody to be donating equipment. I mean, at the end of the day, you are still donating money. So nobody needs to feel obliged to give us anything at the end of the day. And smallstepsurfing.com, and that's two S's on steps surfing. Yes. So it's smallstepsurfing, but all one word, dot com. And uh, also on Facebook, smallstepsurfing. You can check it out and book your own trip if you'd like. Yeah, please check us out. So we're Preferably. going through a bit of a, a website revamp at the moment, but uh, hopefully we'll be up and running within the next week or so. Pardon our dust. We are under construction. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to take a quick break and um, we'll come back because I want to touch on something you brought up earlier, which is the idea of like being selfless and selfish at the same time. I think it's a fascinating concept that a lot of people struggle with. And I want to hit the clinical aspect of things, too. Yeah, sure. So we'll come back with Jurgen after the break. This is the Noggin Notes podcast. All right. Well, we're back with Jurgen Jacobs talking about small step surfing which is uh it's it's a way that you i mean he goes out and teaches uh uh, kids from underprivileged uh, disadvantaged communities um to surf and he teaches uh, ocean conservation through the surfing and there is a mental health component to this as we're going to get into in a minute Uh, if you want to check it out if you want to book your trip and um go down there and see what it's all about it's a it's a it's a vacation I said earlier in the segment I would like to take myself, and maybe I can convince my wife to go down <laughs> to South Africa and do it. But um, smallstepsurfing.com is where you want to go. And what I wanted to ask you, Jurgen, is when you're balancing the difference between, or the, I guess the tension between um, doing something that is selfless by most people's measurement, because most people measure things as you know inflows and outflows. And if you're flowing out more than you're flowing in, and chiefly we're talking about revenue there, you know, money, <laughs> dollars, uh, time, resources, then it's quote unquote selfless, right? You're, you're doing yeah. something that's giving away. It's, it's, um, it's a community service. And if you're doing something that uh, brings in more than you give out, then we call that selfish. And in clinical terms, when people say, I don't like to be selfish or I, I have a problem with being selfish, and what they're really doing is taking it to the extreme where they say, you know, I, I don't do anything at all for myself because they've equated anything for self as being selfish and selfish being bad. Yeah. I try to push back on that and say, look, man, you got to take care of yourself before you can help others. And we got to try to live a life of balance. Uh, my question to you is, how do you, how do you work that balance? How do you ride that tension between, you know, Serving yourself, which clearly this does because you t- you draw a lot of energy from it and it makes you feel good, and um, giving it all away and going broke. <laughs> yeah. 
um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a pretty interesting one, that. But um, I think, you know, to me, you, you cannot be selfless without being a little bit selfish, you know. At the end of the day, you it is making yourself feel better, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it, you know everybody always says you got to look after number one, you know. And if, if you yourself aren't happy, you know, it's, it's very difficult to touch the lives of others. You know, kids especially, kids see... Kids see through that kind of thing, you know. They they'll pick up on it very quickly, and um, you know, it, it's almost helping out is that's the selfless part. But you know, what you what you getting out of that at the end of the day, that's the selfish part, you know? and that's that's where I, you know, that's almost what gives you that little bit of the boost, you know, to keep going. Where you know, there are tough times. I'm not going to lie to you, where. You know, you wake up and you've called 300 people for the day and everybody's basically shot you off and they've been like, you know, we're not really going to listen to what you have to say. But you need to dig deep and you need to be like, okay, you know, think about those times where you're in the water with the kids, where you're actually surfing with them. You know, you've got one of the kids on the nose of your longboard, you know, going on a little foamy. You know, it's those experiences that will keep you going, you know, and you need to feed off of those. You need to, I think those are the things that, inside of you and you know in your brain that's going to release those endorphins to keep you going in the beginning you didn't have any of those experiences because this was a brand new endeavor so upon what did you draw in order to get the thing going oh i i actually attested to my pair both my parents you know my dad's actually a clinical psychologist uh he practiced for about 25 years and you know he himself is a very selfless person you know, he's always helped everybody out. You know, he's gone above and beyond to help people out. And my mom's the exact same. She, you know, dropped everything to raise us. You know, she had a flourishing career. And at the drop of the hat, still today, you know, she'll drop everything she's doing to help out, you know, anybody in need. So I think that really rubbed off a lot on on all of us, on both myself and my, my two brothers, you know, both of them are in fields that actually help out you know one's an environmental scientist another one works for animal health you know and you know they're both very selfless people themselves so you know the upbringing i think was was the one big factor to to where i am today so you were taught to value others ahead of yourself well i'm wondering what your uh, if you if you have one because we didn't actually talk about this when you and i chatted earlier what is your spiritual orientation or how do you how do you anchor yourself in a in a faith system when things are going wrong and you can't necessarily see the outcome how do you continue to have faith that it'll work out oh you know i just try and keep positive you know there are there's always times where everybody's going to be you're going to feel down you're going to you sort of hate where you are but you know that's where you feed off the positivity of others you know go out greet someone smile and you know you pick up of people's reactions. If you walk out and you're friendly to everybody, they're going to be friendly back to you. You know, mm-hmm. a little, a little good morning or a little, how are you doing? Or, you know, how's your day going? It goes a long way to, to motivate me, especially to, to keep going you know, and just to see people smiling, especially, you know, the kids in the water. That's the biggest thing to see how they smile and the, the kind of reactions they have to these things. I mean, half of them have never ever touched a surfboard or, or seen one before. But they pick it up so quickly, and they're just eager to, to go, you know. And it's that energy you need to feed off of. And it, it doesn't That's just so come awesome. from the kids; it comes from everybody. You know, greet the greet the guy at the street corner, and you know, ask him how he's going, how's his day going, what he's been up to. 
have a conversation. Are you familiar with mirror neurons? Oh no, the concept of mirror neurons. I'm not, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, no. Say maybe. Um, so there's this idea that we all possess in our brain something called mirror neurons that that pick up on the um, the imagery of another person, and then by extension, the the energy that they're putting out, such that we uh, embody that and, and then return it. So if somebody's really negative, you end up kind of getting drugged down. And um, this is also the- theoretically speaking, this is how yawns become contagious. We see somebody yawning and then we ourselves yawn because our mirror neurons pick up on it. And if you've ever had that experience, and I'm kind of talking to the listening audience now, if you ever had that experience of walking into a room and you can immediately detect that the energy is a certain level, whether it's, you know, really upbeat or um, really nasty, or there's some tension in the air, that's what we're talking about. And so what you're doing, Jurgen, is what it sounds like you're you're putting out in the world what you want reflected back on you. And that's not some mystical philosophy, although I suppose it could be. I'm not I'm not God. I don't know everything. <laughs> but um, I know that neurologically speaking, we have the ability to bring energy into certain situations that will then return in the same manner. And so if you're mindful about how you bring your energy into a situation, you're bringing positive energy and it then becomes a self-feeding process, much mm-hmm. the way that negative energy does. And you've just chosen to, to you know, sow positive seeds into the world and you're in uh, that. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I think that uh, more people need to be helping each other out instead of, you know, trying to you know, undermine the, the person next Compete. to them to get ahead, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, life isn't a competition. So talk to me. We should rather just, you know, see how we can help each other out at the end of the day. And that's, you know, well, small steps, basically, all we do is collaborations. We're not here to set up anything new. We're just here to help out with what is already there, you know. That's great. It's very symbiotic. Talk to me about the mental health component of this. So, well, what we want to do is there's a big, big drive around surf therapy at the moment. So using... Using surfing as a as a way to to, to get to children um, who have gone through either traumatic experiences or who live in a in a bit of a you know traumatic area I'd say or in a dangerous area you know because the end of the day South Africa is still a third world country and we do have um, some pretty rough and rough neighborhoods around but it doesn't mean all the all the people are bad you know there's you've got these kids that you know they've got so much talent and all they need is just someone to motivate them to. You know, let's let's go to the beach, let's go play, let's go, you know, you don't even have to surf, you can just jump in the water, you can just play in the sand. You just have to you know, it's it, it's a way of sort of trying to trying to get to the kids, break break that barrier, but at the same time getting to the clients, you know, the, getting to the people that are on the tours too, you know, seeing seeing both sides of it. So, you know, seeing how, how your interaction with the kids affects you personally. You know, are you happier? Are you sadder? If you're sadder you know, I'll pay you your money back, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. You know, <laughs> you're inspiring hope. Yeah, well, we, we we are we're trying to. You know, once once we've we've touched all the kids in South Africa and hopefully of the world, then yes, I'll admit that we're inspiring hope. But I mean, even. I, it... And I don't necessarily believe in the whole starfish thing. You know, you walk along a beach and uh, you throw the starfish in and somebody challenges you and says, well, you can't save them all. And you say, well, yeah, but I could save one. I don't believe in that simply because it's not a high enough bar for me to be acceptable in my life. I, I believe in the philosophy. I like it. It's a, it's a good bedtime story. And I think that it's a nice uh, inspiration 
inspiring uh, story to keep people moving. However, uh, that's just not a, not an acceptable level of, of accomplishment for me. Yeah. And so keeping that in mind, I think what you're doing is when, when you go into these communities, you're exposing these kids to things that they otherwise would not have had the chance to see or experience simply because of their circumstances or their lack of resources. And even if you touch one, you've changed a life and chances are pretty strong. You're not going to just touch one. You're going to touch many and many lives will be changed. And, and who knows where the ripple effect of that goes. I mean, there's, there's lots of very cool fallout that could happen from that. Yeah. I mean, we, we hope for the best in, in terms of fallout. I mean, hopefully in terms of job creation, we can do something for the kids that are part of the program. But I mean, it's, it, the mental part is a huge focus because these I mean, a lot of these kids don't have people to talk to. There's nobody to talk to about how you're feeling. And in like, okay, maybe, maybe South Africa is a lot different to the to the States in the sense, but there's still a lot of, you know, the, I wouldn't call it toxic masculinity, but there's the masculinity factor where, you know, you sort of keep it bottled up and, you know, you don't talk about it sort of thing where what we're trying to do is, you know, we give you a, we give you a friend from the outside who's just, they're just there. If you want to talk about it, you talk about it to them, but, at the end of the day, we're not psychologists, you know, we, we're not here to, to, we're not doing a clinical study. We just, we're just trying to befriend. We, we're just trying to befriend the kids and, 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 you know, be in, be a shoulder to crown or, or ear for them to, to speak to, you know. Is there a lot of uh, broken home type of communities there? Lacking fathers, lacking mothers? Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't done any, I'm not studied in any of it, but yeah, I'd say generally, I'd, I'd I'd say that, but that'd also be a generalization on my part. You know, mm-hmm. I just didn't know if yeah, I mean here, poverty tends to include more of that fractured yeah. family circle than uh, than it doesn't. Yeah, hundred percent. Nine times out of ten, I mean, the result then, of course, is that these kids have nowhere to turn because even if they have a very loving father or mother, whoever's there. And even if they're together still and they're not divorced or, or, or scattered, um, they're working so hard just to make ends meet that exactly. the kid has no other choice than to bottle it up because there is no safe space to offload it. There's no coaching in how to do it. Um, so being able to have those conversations is really, really important. Exactly. And I mean, we don't get involved in, in their family life or their personal life at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a, a, a lot of the kids that we had in Sudwana starting out were, you know, they were car guards in like a makeshift parking lot, just, you know, getting coins for sitting there looking after cars. But at the end of the day, you know, what's a what's a child going to do when someone comes to break into your car? And those are the kids that we mm-hmm. targeted. And we were, you know, initially we got kickback because their parents were, you know, saying, you know, yes, that's extra money for the house. It's extra right. money for the household, you know, like both parents are working and then you know, that little bit of extra could, it feeds that, that child for the day without the parents having to, having to fork out any more money. But I'm, uh, but I'm not saying that that's across the board, you know, that's just uh, a, 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 well, once again, a generalization on my part. You know, I'm not going to yeah. say, you know, that's, that's a fact, but you know, a lot of the kids that, that came into my program were car guards. Um, during the day and when they're not surfing, you know, they go back to the car, carport and they go do it again, you know. But I think it's certainly, even though it's not a, um, a generalization, it certainly helps illustrate what's going on in these communities and what you're trying to help change. How yeah. do you, 
when you talk to the parents, how do you justify the exchange of time when the kid's away from the carport and going out learning surfing and becoming, you know, happy for, for all intent and purpose and then going back? How do you, how do you tell them that there's a, a longer term benefit to this than just the short term, uh, you know, few rand they're yeah. going to earn in the parking lot? See, that's where, you, you know, you almost need, you need the community to stand by you with that. And, you know, that's, that's where, you know, almost I'd say the pressure turns on where I want to create jobs for all the kids that come through our program. I mean, a lot of them are, th- are in the programs between seven and 17 years. So they they for almost 10 years. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be silly for us not to pull them back into the business or to get them something, you know, along the lines of what they've been doing. And that's sort of the incentive to to the folks and to also just tell them, you know, we try and find a happy medium, a happy a, a good time for everyone that the kids can go surfing. They're not there for too long. Um, they can return. The afternoon's theirs. We're not interfering into their schoolwork. You know, they, they still live their normal lives. We just take a couple hours every now and then to take them to the beach, to do a beach cleanup, to interact with other people to jump in the water and have a surf do you ever get the parents to come along unfortunately not and that's been a bit of a tough one what's the obstacle the swimming part unfortunately no kidding yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, people in south africa that still don't know how to swim and is um, it a fear though they don't want to learn or I think, something I think, else i think the ocean in general is quite a scary place i mean we don't have a, well yes <laughs> we, we don't have a, a a flat sea we've got a pretty pretty wild one so it's i mean a lot of it's fear and it's a lot of it's you know no access to a pool or no access to anybody any you know swimming teacher but they don't even come to watch their own kids do it huh yeah i mean uh, as you said earlier most of the parents are working during the day during the times that the kids are are out surfing we've had a couple parents come and have a look at at what they're doing you know and we've had positive feedback from it um which is good. You know, we've, we've also had our fair share of negative feedback, you know, where the community, some people in the community were a bit against it just because, you know, we, they just feel that you know, there can't be this free service without there being a catch. Somewhere there's a catch and someone's not telling us about it. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be honest, if, if I was in their shoes, I'd be the same. Sure. It, it sounds like there's a lot of suspicion behind that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if someone comes to you and they say, all you have to do is do this, do that, do this, it doesn't cost you anything, you get fed to do it, and, you know, you get a free t-shirt, I mean, everybody's going to want to do it, but five out of 20 are going to think, you know, what what's actually going on behind the scenes? Well, I'll tell you what, um, I'm looking on your website now, and I, I actually just, I didn't find the pricing last time I checked what was going on here. And I, I see that there's a 21 day guided tour from uh 45,000 Rand, which at a 13, 14 to one conversion rate, that's like 3,500 us. And that seems too good to be true. <laughs> Three weeks of touring and surfing and helping communities for 3,500 bucks. That's yeah. I mean, I, I can't even get an all inclusive resort in Mexico for seven days for thirty five hundred bucks. <laughs> and I'm we're actually considering changing that, bringing that pricing down. But uh, thanks for that. You don't tell Sofisa to edit that out too. Me admitting that <laughs> I want to bring it down. <laughs> so um, nobody, if you're listening to this, uh, just disregard. wait. <laughs> yeah, disregard. Oh, um, but, um, talk to me about the pricing though. Now, how 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 the 
feedback is like i mean if i'm now i'm i'm actually looking i'm assuming this doesn't count airfare no i gotta get myself there but um getting myself there i mean three weeks three weeks seriously three weeks all accommodated breakfast and dinners included um all your transfers are included you have a surf surf guide and surf instructor that tours with you a videographer that goes along with you and will give you a film at the end of it wow yeah i mean what's a transfer by the way i see four hour transfer eight hour transfer is that like a shuttle that's a shuttle so we've got a sort of a private 21 seater minibus that we we take down the coast so we collect everyone from the airport and then they they're with us throughout same bus throughout wow yeah, this there's actually there's a couple more. So we've got a couple shorter shorter tours because I I'm, I mean 21 days is quite long, but that covers pretty much our entire range of of areas. So we've got a couple um, 10 day tour options that we'll we'll be introducing into the website revamp. So that makes it a That's bit great. easier if, if you know if you don't have three weeks to give. You know, hopefully we can try and get 10 days and you can pick one of the areas you want to you want to touch base in and there's a couple non-profit organizations that we 100% will go and visit in those areas that's great yeah because like i said 3 weeks is a long uh, chunk of time for a lot of people yeah how do you see noggin notes working into this cuz you and i chatted a little bit offline and you're talking about the app and i i know a lot of people do listen to this podcast and are not aware that we have an app uh, we have an app. It's a mobile app. It's an emotionally driven journal of sorts that lives on your phone. And so, you know, if you're feeling something and you don't know what it is, you open it up. You try to identify it with one of the ten core emotions that I talk about regularly, and then that opens up a menu of more specific emotions uh, within that subset. And then uh, it leads you to making a journal entry. And so, over time, you can develop a timeline. Uh, so that's my plug for the app. Uh, how do you how do you guys uh, see implementing this? Well, that's, I mean, exactly what you said. The journal keeping is the best part of it. So upon your arrival, we'll, we'll give you access to Wi-Fi and you'll be downloading the, the Noggin Notes app. And then that's completely, you know, you, you're basically just keeping a journal of, of your feelings. You know, how do you feel about, one, interaction, interacting with the animals, two, just being in South Africa, three, interacting with the kids, and, you know, four, surfing. You know, how does it make you feel personally? These are all things that we can use in the long run to set together programs that, you know, will help the kids, you know, proper, you know, funded studies where we can get these studies across the board that activity-based therapy really works, you know, a sports-based interaction is, you know, it, it does work. So this is actually your, your idea. I totally misunderstood that. I was thinking that the, the app would be for the kids, but I mean, you're talking about impoverished kids. I don't know how many of them have smartphones there in the U.S. Our well, version of poverty is a little different. It. They'll still be doing it, but they'll be doing it with our instructors. So they'll yeah. be they'll be having their independent, you know, sort of profiles just run off of one either computer or tablet. And then they can still, you know, they can keep their journals or they can write it just into a book journal. And then once we come along with our tour, you know, we can then, you know, hand over the the information accordingly, you know. So if I'm random guy who pays to go on the tour and I become one of the instructors, because um, I assume you're using that interchangeably, right? Guest and inter- instructor are the same thing. Yeah, more just guest and mostly guest and uh, mentor, would call it. Mentor, yeah. yeah. yeah professional <laughs> instructor is not the same thing. Those yeah, we've actually, yeah, it, it takes a bit away from our actual surf instructor, unfortunately. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. No, the guy who can't even like hold his board under him. I'm not going to be calling myself an instructor. Show him the poor guy. <laughs> but but the idea then is that this journey is not just a vacation to go help kids and learn some stuff about yourself and have a good time. This is really more of a philosophical ex- consciousness expanding trip to um, really like take it, take an inward journey to discover oneself. Oh, 100%. I mean, I myself have gone through this journey and I, you know, be stupid not to suggest it to anyone else, you know, just, I mean, not just activity based therapy, but, you know, actually interacting with complete strangers and, and kids, you know, kids are the easiest, they break it down so well, you know, kids will be super honest. If they think you look stupid, they'll yeah. tell you you look stupid, you know, they're yes. very, they're brutally yeah, no honest. filters. Yeah. And that's, that's the best part of it. You know, it's, it, it breaks that down and it sort of, it, it brings you back to, to your childhood. I mean, if you're speaking to an adult, you're going to try and sound intellectual and all that. If you're speaking to a kid, you almost dumb yourself down to a very, very vulnerable, you know, part of yourself where, you know, at the same time in front of your peers, you might think, Oh, I look a bit foolish speaking to this kid like this, but you know, that interaction is, it's invaluable. You know, I'm glad you mentioned vulnerability because I was going to put on my clinical hat here for a second and talk about how this, if if someone were to go on a trip like this, it's very disarming. You have no other option except to let go and trust because the dynamics are so different from wherever you may have originated. Um, the ocean is so powerful um, to, to try to you can't tame the ocean. All you can do is just oh, no, um, no. yield to it and use its power to, you know, na- in this case, navigate a surfboard or, you know, even if I've, I've gone scuba diving the ocean before, it's, you, you don't control the ocean. Uh, the ocean controls you and you just learn to, to move along with it. But the same is true with children. You can't, you can't control another human being, but particularly children who are so unvarnished in their opinions. And if you're trying to interact with them, you do have to let go of what you think you know about the kids or the ocean or the, the experience in and of itself. And that experience in itself is transforming. Um, if you go from a world, say, you know, corporate America where you're used to the eight to five, uh, very predictable boss mm-hmm. tells you what to do. You have assignments, you have tasks and projects, et cetera. Uh, you get a paycheck. Uh, everything's very, you know, predictable. Your garage door goes up, it goes down, you park your car, it turns on, it turns off. Sometimes it breaks and has to go in the shop, but then there's a mechanic who knows exactly what to do. I mean, everything's almost, you know, blueprinted. Yeah. You get into something like this, you have no other choice but to let go and trust. And that can be a very, very disorienting feeling. But fortunately, through disorientation, through disequilibrium, that is how we grow. And it sounds like this would be an incredible growth experience for anybody who wants to go on it. Yeah, I mean, um, as much as it's a, you know, it's a massive growth experience for, for both the clients and kids, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're making a difference. It doesn't matter whether you walk away having improved your surfing or not, you know, you can walk away knowing that you've actually, you, you, you've changed, you've changed lives, you know, whether it be you jumping in the water with the kids or sitting and, and sorting out, out rubbish from some of the litter programs that we work with, you know, all of that, mm-hmm. it, it ties into an end goal. And every person that comes on our tour, you know, it's, it, 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 it's exactly what our, what our name what our name is, you know, if you don't take those small steps, you'll never know. 
you know, I want to they, take a quick break again and then come back and wrap up with uh, turtles. <laughs> sure I know you like talking about turtles. Um, so we're going to take a quick break talking with uh, Jurgen Jacobs on, on the Noggin Notes podcast. And we'll see in just a couple. All right. So we're back and we're talking with Jurgen and uh, exploring small step surfing and how the, a lot of the change somebody can undergo on taking one of these trips to not only learn surfing, improve their own surfing, but to teach it to other kids on the way is, um, is really revolutionary. And, um, and you're doing a lot of good while doing a lot of good for yourself. And I think that also, you know, it speaks to that tension we spoke of earlier about the difference between being selfish and being selfless. You can have both simultaneously. It's not an either, or it's not binary. It's, it's, uh, quite, uh, dialectic. Uh, so you can have a both and of giving and receiving, but uh, as I teased before the break, I wanted to ask you to indulge the audience in uh, turtle talk, uh, if I may borrow a line from Walt Disney and the uh, the, the Finding Nemo experience in Disney World. <laughs> the best line ever. <laughs> but uh, tell us about tell us about Crush and Squirt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you do you do, and your dad does uh, these uh, turtle. Uh, conservation projects and I, I'm just going to stop there and let you talk because you're the expert now. <laughs> well, experts are far shot. My, my old man's the expert. I, I just uh, been trying to pick up on, on what he's putting down. But, Son of expert. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did, I did one exam, you know, I'm going to claim it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so my old man, he takes uh, it, so Sedwana Bay falls within South Africa's first World Heritage Site, UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is Isimangaliso Wetland Park. So that beach mm. itself is the only beach in South Africa where turtles come to nest and then subsequently the hatchlings come out. And what my dad does is he, he takes he does a, a guided tours in the in the evenings during the turtle season. So that's from about October to April in South Africa throughout summer months. Um, we'll take you out two hours before low tide, two hours after low tide. So it's a four-hour trip, and you you sort of patrol the beach, you know, and you you wait for turtles to either come out to to nest, to make their their um, make their nest and lay their eggs, or you wait for a nest to to hatch, and there, and then you're like a presence to deter um, predators because at the end of the day, turtles are on the endangered species list. So the humans are there to deter predators. Yeah, we don't lay a hand on the turtles at all. So we're basically just there to one, it's it's a study. So we know that the that the that nest is hatched and we sort of can see, you know, the survival rate of the nest. Um, all nests are monitored from the time that they are witnessed. So if you if we witness a, one of the females laying eggs, then we'll mark her nest with a GPS and We'll, we'll know exactly, okay, cool, that nest will hatch in roughly 60 to 90 days. And then 60 to 90 days, we'll make sure that we are present there to try and, you know, um, sort of up the numbers of surviving baby turtles from nest to ocean. I'm listening to this, and I'm getting this impression in my head that this is this happens regularly, but is it like on a daily basis, like if I just wander out there some night at low tide and I can, I can see turtles nesting or hatching, but is it that frequent? 
Uh, I mean, like wildlife, you can't really guarantee any sightings, but uh, there are times where it's quite busy, but there are a lot of human factors that will stop uh, turtles from coming out if they do get spooked on the beach or if, you know, the weather isn't correct. There are reptiles that uh, their nests depend on, on temperature to have, you know, an equal balance of, of gender throughout. Hmm. So if, you know, they, they, if it's too hot, I think it's, oh, I'd be lying to you if I told you now, but I'd rather not say it. But yeah, it's very temperature dependent on whether to get a, you know, a, a gender equal clutch. Interesting. Yeah. It's what, like what's crocodiles. the tilt? Like warmer yields more females or colder think, yields more males or how's that work? Well, I might be wrong. I'll admit that I might be wrong, but I think it's, if it's warmer, they'll, you'll have an abundance of of females i think interesting i'm not uh, I'd, I'd have to confirm on that uh, my dad is the real he's the real expert on all these things but um yeah so they also they also then uh, tag the fe- the females so they'll do tags and they've recently um released a turtle at sedwana that's got a little homing beacon on where you can monitor herbie's progress throughout and see the currents that she follows and see whether she returns to Sudwana Bay to lay her eggs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, how many turtles do you have currently like floating through the oceans of the world Ooh, that you're I, tracking? I'm not, it's so hard to track them. I mean, a, a leatherback turtle is pelagic, which means it travels all of the oceans. I mean, they can regulate their body temperature by 20 degrees either way. So they can go into Arctic waters. They can go wow. into, you know, tropic water, tropical waters, and it, it's so hard to track them. And you've got different turtles occurring in different areas, and you know, some of them they'll reach sexual maturity at, at different times, so they'll come out to nest at different times. You know, it's it's hard to keep track of them. And for the first ten years of their lives, you know, they spend on the surface of the ocean. So it's pretty much we refer to that as the lost years. That's where. You don't actually know, you know, what happens there. They're so hard to track. Wow. So even with the GPS, you don't, you can't really track them. We saw it. We get pings every now and then. You know, I think with the GPS, it's pretty accurate, but they dive pretty deep. Um, that was mm. put on a loggerhead turtle. So they'll, they'll be feeding on sort of kelp and things like that and crustaceans. Um, but a leatherback turtle, I mean, a leatherback turtle feeds up to two kilometers underwater. So it's wow. to put a GPS on on that is, is it's going to be tough. That's wild. Yeah, you're telling me something that I found the most fascinating of all these facts, and that is about how they return to the same beach oh, that's, to hatch from which they're born. That's the best fact of them all. Then. That's so they've well, they've got this thing called an olfactory cue. It's like a smell sense. So that's why that journey from nest to water is so important for them. They have to undergo that journey. That's where they pick up those scents in the sand. So that would be from fresh water coming through the dunes or vegetation that's in the area or, you know, sort of what's occurring in that sand, you know, different different particles, different elements. And then they also start boost up their, their metabolism. They sort of get the metabolism going by getting the, you know, the movement going, getting the exercise in. And then they also learn their swim stroke. So they gain, gain strength and they learn their swim stroke by doing the little hop on the beach so you they have to do that and then they pick up those cues and then you know it takes for a loggerhead turtle up to 36 years to reach sexual maturity so she'll go in the water 
And then 36 years later, she'll come back to Sedwana Bay and she'll lay her eggs on that beach. And for 36 years, this turtle goes all throughout the ocean, Arctic, tropical, or deep, shallow. Just the leatherback. The loggerhead will sort of stay within its migratory roots. It's feeding, oh, okay. feeding roots. So it will follow, follow um, different currents down the east coast of Africa. Then, you know, sort of jump, take turns in all the different gyres and that. So they're different. But I still like <laughs> changes. So. I like how I'm like, oh, oh, it's just one of the two that goes away forever and then comes yeah. back to the same exact beach. <laughs> yeah. So that well, the log less impressive. The, the loggerhead travels. I mean, some of their, their migratory routes are, are huge. I mean, some of them travel right around the world, around the globe, and come back to the same beach. So it's 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 not like they, you know, they're not South African turtles that just hang around. Yeah, they travel all around. I mean, some of them go all the way down to the Arctic. Or some of them are, are pinged in Australia, all the way up to Sri Lanka, then you know Maldives, and then back down again. So it's sort of they follow the the, the ocean's currents in in a pattern. I mean, and that also enables them to to then find a mate. You know, that'd be the, the most likely place for them to find a mate in the ocean. Well, yes, I I wouldn't expect them to find a mate in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, but along the currents, I mean, so. Yeah. Well, he's uh, Jurgen Jacobs, who uh, does lots of things and has really cool stories about turtles and yachting, but he won't share the ones about yachting. <laughs> but he Maybe also runs small a, steps. If they come for a tour, I'll share that. I'll share some yachting stories. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but he, he runs small steps surfing. You can find that at smallstepsurfing.com. And if you're looking for a vacation of uh, 21 days, you can. Um, sign up now and if you're looking for something shorter wait for the website uh revamp and you can go for you know maybe 10 days but it sounds like an incredible adventure not only for the person who attends but also for the the lives that 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 person will touch along the way um you're doing some remarkable work my friend thank you very much and uh, i hope we can live up to expectations i mean that's the the biggest thing now is uh we just want to touch as many lives as as we've set out to do yeah, I built you up pretty, uh, pretty high there. Don't let anybody down. <laughs> well, uh, I think I can, I can uh, live up to the hype. I believe it. You've, <laughs> been, you've done a lot so far, and anything we can do with the noggin notes, um, or you know, me from Reno, Nevada, with whatever I can bring, I mean, you know, let us know, and we'll try to help this journey along. All you need to do is come out for a tour with your family. I really do. That'll be that'll be the the end goal, and then I'm just excited for for what's going to come between small step surfing and noggin nuts. I thank you for joining us. I'm going to wrap up because we're pushing the end of our hour, and I want to respect your time. Thank you but very much. Thanks, for man. Me. Thank you very very much. I really appreciate it, and um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to me. You know, and I appreciate you uh, because of all the work that you're doing. It's um, nice to hang out with people who are valuing others above self and plunging as much as you are into what you're doing and without even a thought to what it's returning to you in material gain, which is usually what everybody looks at. You're you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and that's really remarkable, and hopefully that inspires other people in our listening audience to do the same thing. Thank you very much for the kind words. Well, you have a good day, and on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I thank everybody for listening, and I wish you all great mental wellness. 
We'll see you again next week.